Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast from Ben K and Emily D. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. We're back, folks. We're back again, where two writer friends uh, talk craft. This week, we're talking, well, this month, this... For this Quarter. episode, <laughs> we are talking about Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield, and uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil quite a lot of it, so mm-hmm. it's a goodie. Yeah, yeah. The, I guess that is relevant because this is not, it, unlike our previous times, this isn't a novel from 30 years ago, which is something we do a fair amount of. We do but, Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it's very interesting. It is a discussion of the side character, Carmen, and her greater uh, relevance to the whole of the novel and the way that she operates as maybe a microcosm and foil for the rest of the plot as developed throughout the book itself. What Ben said. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> ben. No one can see this. Emily. No one can see this. <laughs> but we just scored touchdowns. There are two touchdowns occurring on the Good Writing Podcast, which Touchdown. no one has heard for months. <laughs> Arms in the air. Touchdown. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Says listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Missed yeah. I've missed you too, Emily. I, I I've missed you. I've missed the pod. I've missed the the process. Welcome back to the Good Writing Podcast, dear listener. I hope you've yeah. been doing well. It's good to hear. I, I'm glad. I, I guess I was gonna say hear from the twelve of you, but hear uh, to the twelve of you too. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. You're, you're, you're here. We're here in your past. Well, in our past, but your present. Coming to you in, in delayed reaction. It's the parasocial relationship you can't get enough of. Enough of. It's the Good Writing Podcast. From <laughs> and Emily D. <laughs> oh, Ben. Uh, where have we been? Where, where, why, why did we drop off again? Uh, well, because we uh, both have, like, you know, you have a full-time plus job, I, I assume, and I went from being p- very part-time to only being mostly part-time, and I uh, and we're busy adults. We have relationships and lives and things that need our attention that aren't necessarily the podcast, and we're and, and it's just been been tough we've been uh, we've been lazy about it also i've been uh, i won't speak for you but i'll say speak for myself like if... you mean to say that it takes effort to make a podcast you know you know i was kind of shocked when i realized that when i started doing podcasts and then i was like why is it hard <laughs> yeah. dear listener um ben has i think maybe in total 12 podcasts, 17 podcasts, um, <laughs> one of which he, Ben's got a podcast, for those of you who did not hear this on a past episode, where mm-hmm. he and his best buds from high school um, change the name of the podcast every few months, and also the content of the, po- the point and theme of the podcast yeah. every few months. Um, well, we did until we stopped recording it, and now the, the theme is uh, silence, I guess. Um. <laughs> the theme is the sound of silence. Um, yeah. <laughs> you guys always had, most recently, your podcast name was Now Friends Talking. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a reference to NFTs or non-fungible tokens, mm-hmm. um, and those have fallen off of how funny they are. It is not inherently funny anymore yeah. to say the words NFT. Um, you have nope. to actually make a joke with it. Um, so you, yeah. I think you're due for a rebrand. I, I know, right? Like that. That I'm sure they would love that if I told them we need to change the podcast again, and Dave has to make a new logo. Because none of us, because we make Dave do everything. He, like, I, I will say, listener, on, on this podcast, me and Emily, for the most part, split the editing duties. It's the two of us, you know, where we'll switch off on who edits the cast, um, puts it together, makes for a good division of labor. NFT, not so much. There's three of us, and we make our friend Dave do the whole thing every time, no matter what. And uh, constantly tell him to add in sound effects, and um, sometimes he does, but no guarantee. Um. I want to say rights for Dave. Dave deserves better. Um, and Dave, really if you're does. ready to unionize, you let me know. I'll put you in touch. I'll, I'll do yeah. some googling and find a rep for you. 
Dave does deserve better. Dave is the nicest of us. This is the truth. Um. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, the theme of our podcast is good writing. Uh, as yes. we're a good writing podcast. Ben, uh, how's uh, reading and writing? Uh, reading and writing are okay right now. I, I've been. I read a lot. Like I, I'm on a book a week clip for the most part, um, which yeah. has been good, um, and I'm happy about that. I've been doing some good reading lately. Um, uh, I will say a uh, shout out to uh, former podcast guest B.R. Yeager. He just had a new collection of short stories come out called Burn You the Fuck Alive on Apocalypse Party Press. Go check it out. It's fantastic. Uh, definitely um, some of the... It, it's a book that I had to put down a few times because I was genuinely creeped out by what I had read. Like, Jed generally found it, you know, upsetting and disturbing a few of the stories that have in, that he has in there. Really excellent. Like, absolutely worth your time. But, yeah, re- I've read that recently. But, yeah, reading's been good. Writing's been okay. Uh, I've been a little slower lately, but I am still putting in time, putting in work. You know, we sit down for 15, 30 minutes on most weekdays at this point. That's what I try to do. Um, but that's that's it you know it's still slow going like even then that's it that's still not a lot of writing compared to how much writing something takes right like things take so much writing <laughs> dude it sucks you <laughs> <laughs> so just like three thousand yeah and deep thinking and, <sighs> and points to be yeah. made I, there's God. so many words in a thing yeah how about you emily <laughs> setting um not not as productive as you are uh i god i feel like i should i be embarrassed to say this on a pod if i'm reading like a book or maybe book and a half a month lately like i'm just doing other stuff uh and uh writing's almost non-existent i got like a good few paragraphs out last week and i'm still on a high from it um, except for this book, which I really enjoyed, um, mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about today. And um, before I get too deep into it, I need mm-hmm. to. Uh, I want to tell you a story, Ben, about how much my, my truest self. Um, I've I've gone back in in touch with with my truest self, which is. Mm-hmm. A menace in a book club. That's my truest self. That's when I feel <laughs> most me is when I am being a real fucking former English teacher in a book club. I mean, that's I like was I went to a book club for this book that we're going to talk about this week, and I realized like I, this was me trying like you know like using that rule like trying to hold it in, trying to not speak too much in this book club. But mm-hmm, I was like. Mm-hmm. I just got a little comfier by the end, and by the end of it, I was like, "Well, no." On page seven, it really clarifies that question that you had. You like, like, <laughs> well, if you had read the book, um, you'd realize <laughs> um, this is who I am, and I don't intend to change. And let's Good. talk. Let's do this entire podcast episode because I have another opinion about this book that I didn't get to get out during this book club. Ooh, please, yeah. I just like have you have you ever been to a book club since the MFA program? No, I've never done it. Yeah. Uh, why not? Well, it's just like, I don't know. Like, well, I mean, a big part of it is that it's like, I'll look at the book that they're going to read for a book club and I'll be like, nah, I don't know if that's what I want to read. Like, and that's a big part of it. And I understand that that's not necessarily what a book club about is about. It's about discussion, which of course can be more interesting than the book itself a lot of the time. Yeah. But it's like, you know, eh, you know, I have a to read shelf and that's not on it. So I don't need to do that. And also like the the thought of like discussing a book specifically with strangers like i don't know if this is how yours was if you did a book club with friends maybe i'd feel differently about that but if it's just like a group of people the bookstore i work at hosts several book clubs i'm even considering potentially starting one so my 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 thoughts on this might change but it's like you know you go in and you go in there with the other you know basically the other four or five retirees that show up because that's who can show up to a book club that's hosted at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. Why and, are you hosting yeah. a, a 2 p.m. on a Wednesday? That's just when they do it. In, in part, it's because like the people who host the book clubs are people who work at the store, so they want to host it during store hours so people don't have to come in during times that aren't their shifts to do that work, which is nice. Okay. 
But, like, yeah, but it, it, it is an odd choice because it does limit who can come, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that, that's a part of it. And it's just, yeah, it's just never been something that I felt like I would, that, that, that felt like the right thing to do. Like, yeah. You know, Ben, pretty bold to go from never attending one to thinking about starting one. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, they always say, like, you, you should write the book that you want to read. You should leave yeah. the book club that you want to participate in. I, basically, I'm just like, I'm choosing the book. I get to choose. <laughs> like, that's no, that's a big inspo for it. Yeah. So this, this the book club that I went to is uh, hosted by a group that I like that does a lot of events in Denver. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, I had been watching their book clubs like on their social media for a few months and not attending because mm-hmm. I just wasn't interested in the in the book. Um, but mm-hmm. this book was on my list, on my to read mm-hmm. list anyway, because Kayla Kumari from Autostraddle had recommended it, and yeah. also it's a debut novel um, mm-hmm. from someone who'd previously done a short story collection. It's mm-hmm. literary. It's lesbian. Like totally mm-hmm. hitting my my lists. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was definitely the kind of book that like is is improved by discussion a lot of people who attended the book club like said you know they missed the point of the book and you know appreciated mm. it more after the discussion mm-hmm. um and i don't think i will have the same fun experience like i'm gonna probably go this month again but they're doing like a ya romance and i'm just like i'm not uh, this is not gonna be as good as the discussion <laughs> like we're yeah. just, i just don't think yeah. there's room for interpretation like there was in this one yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but this book is great for a book club if you're looking for a book club recommendation because there's some mm. room for interpretation. Cool. Yeah. Like. I, I actually saw this book um, on TikTok of all places before uh, coming in here. I, I saw this on a suggestion of like with some um, a person who's also suggesting horror novels along with it, um, which was in, it, it seemed very interesting. Like, so that was a big point of discussion and and um. It is not very scary. Um, okay. It has um, some supernatural elements, but I think they're done in a more closer to a magical realist way than in okay. a horrific way. Um, okay. There's like one image that was horrific for most people, um, mm-hmm. but otherwise, like, it's just not fucking scary. Um, yeah. But like the the plot was, oh my god, Ben, I. I can't believe I've forgotten his name, but who is that writer, the racist horror writer? Uh, Lovecraft. Cat, the awful slur. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovecraftian. Um, so it, there, there is like some Lovecraftian plot, like it's um, an unknowable tentacle deep sea other half. Okay. And that's like. Oh, as, interesting. As okay. Like it exists, but it's just like not done in a way that spooks me at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're looking for horror, don't come into this book expecting like horror genre. Come into this book expecting like a literary short story. Yeah, that that seemed to be how it was described. Also, that it was, when they were on it, they're like it has horror elements, is what they said, and it what Correct. was it did not have. And just from the like cover comparison to what else they were showing on that TikTok, it's like okay, this feels like like I know that font. You you don't have that written with a marker font on on your horror novels. You got that on your lit fic. That's how the covers work. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the um the British cover looks much scarier than the American cover. Um, the American oh, cover is kind of pink. It's got this like marker situation going on, and then there's like waves at the bottom. Yeah. Um, but the British cover looks pretty scary. There's like a a woman whose face looks like it's melting, mm. and it's like wet. Interesting. All right, so what we I guess we should say the title of this book, and I will we'll, leave we'll do that. it in the intro. We'll yeah. Be able to oh, oh, yeah, that's true. I always forget we do those separately, so everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows by now. Uh, we're discussing yeah. "Our Wives Under the Sea" by Julia Armfield. Um, ben, if you mm-hmm. haven't read the book in full, right? No, I've only read the excerpts that you gave me. Yeah. Okay, cool. The excerpts I gave you are probably are pretty focused on a specific topic, but they are okay. representative, I think, of the style throughout. Okay. Um, what was your impression based on the excerpts I gave you? Um, this seemed really interesting to me, uh, but what I was looking at in, in here, because you gave me all the scenes focus around this side character. So I feel like my reading experience of having only read this is, like, really unique 
because I this is you said that this was all the times this character shows up, and this is eleven pages of what I assume to be like a two hundred page book, two hundred thirty page book maybe. Yeah, like uh, about two thirty. Yeah, like yeah, and and it's just they all focus around this character who the narrator appreciates but does not like necessarily is maybe how I would put it. Yeah. Um, this person who they can who considers the narrator to be a friend, but the entirety of their relationship seems to be the narrator questioning whether or not they actually like this person or if they kind of just think they're annoying. Like, yeah. But because they're going through this traumatic event of what I know to be the plot of the novel where their wife has returned from this submarine voyage and um, has been changed by it, um, they, um, they, like, they're able to tell this other person this person carmen about this um and i what i liked was these you know the these ruminations on the relationship and the very specific detailing of how this relationship is described i i thought was really like that that's what really stood out to me in this uh, of the way that this narrator is kind of navigating like their exasperation with this person carmen but also like feeling that it's like they don't want to push them away because they're going through this like thing where they need some sort of support even if it's from this person they don't necessarily like and this person is giving it to them so they're like okay i'm not going to push you away even if i find your advice to be bad and your presence annoying (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. um i think you nailed it yeah um dear listener if you have read our wives under the sea um i think i gave been a screenshot i just like took a photo of literally every mention of the character carmen um so ben Mm -hmm. is now an expert on carmen and he knows nothing else to my knowledge about the rest of this i do not (laughs) yeah um any impressions on like writing style language uh let's see let me revisit this a little bit i mean there's a lot of distance in the language and this might be something that i'm just bringing to it but like things when i read third person a lot lately, especially in like uh, why uh, more uh, w- widely, um, I'm not sure I want to term this, but but just like more widely dispersed literary fiction, like mm-hmm. things that uh, uh, fit into this literary genre. There, I, I feel like there is in. I guess this isn't first person, but there's just a lot of distance between the narrator and the words that are on the page. Like it, it feels like there is this kind of coldness. Uh, between the narrator and her own thoughts and and the things that she's presenting. And that's kind of what stands out to me a lot in this because I'm surprised that I didn't realize that, that I said this was in third person, that I felt that distance so hard. But it's in this, like, you know, style where we get this person that feels very detached from what they're saying and detached from their experiences around and definitely detached from this other person that they're communicating with. I cannot agree with that point more um and what gave you that impression well i don't know that just looking back at it it, it's so well there's lots of these like single factual statements like on page 54 that you sent me Mm -hmm. there's this moment where she says she is a good friend in as much as she is a present friend or at least a friend who likes to make plans like and, and each of those statements is very cold in itself like the she is a good friend could be considered warm but it feels like there's an immediate hesitation at the end of that sentence because of the comma and then it just kind of devolves into further distancing herself from this person like saying well she's around well yeah. she wants to be around <laughs> like she's available and she asks me to hang out and i'm yeah. not capable of initiating plans yeah. yeah 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 damn ben laser sharp yeah this character <laughs> is is very distant so all of the sections mm-hmm. i gave ben are from the point of view of one of the two narrator characters miri um mm-hmm. and yeah miri is in denial about her situation she is okay. absolutely shut down and detached like the course my interpretation of the point of this book is like this is a the book about Miri letting go of a dysfunctional relationship. And the relationship's okay. dysfunctional because Leah's, like, turned into a sea monster, which mm-hmm. is reasonable, you know, like, yeah, I think it's no longer going to work out. Like, yeah, it's no yeah. Um, but, yeah, the point of this book for me is Miri finally admitting to herself she needs to let Leah go, even mm. if 
like even if Leah isn't fully ready to admit the degree to which she's now disabled or no longer her past self. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely the point of the book, the book for me. Spoilers, wow. by the way, belated spoilers. Um, so yeah, it, uh, yeah, on a language level, like that's kind of amazing that like you're picking up how detached and not in touch with her own emotions she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too another section here close like on the next page after the one you quoted um carmen's patient with me or didn't recognize that my behavior was rudeness accepts my listening as being a good friend Um, Mm -hmm. mary's wife leah says um you're interested in people you like to hear about their siblings and i wasn't (laughs) sure that that was the same as being kind (laughs) to them um I think, like, that's kind of central to, like, who Miri is as a character. Like, there's a difference between being nice and being kind. Nice mm-hmm. is, like, what's up? You know, hey, how's it been going? Oh, yeah, how's that thing about your brother? And being kind is, like, actually caring about mm-hmm. it and being mm-hmm. in touch with, with, yeah. with him. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with your observation. Um, mm-hmm. Any other yeah, that, thoughts before I launch the, into what I... Just on that sentence itself that you just brought in, I, I, I think that's such a, like good characterization of like a partner who's not interpreting you correctly also like you're interested in people she would say you like to hear about their siblings like that is such a surface level reading of a person it feels like it's like oh yeah no when you ask about people you ask about their brothers and sisters and it's like everybody asks about people's siblings if you know they have siblings like that's so like that doesn't characterize a person's kindness you know like if you're going to talk about a person's kindness it's like oh you know like you'll you'll come up like i feel like when you're paying attention to a person like you'll have a weird reason for that it's like it's like oh i know you're kind because of the way you water the plants or i know you're kind because of like Mm. you always put the small dishes on top because you don't want them to get broken like that's you know Mm. that's a way of observing a person's like their their attentiveness to things but just saying like oh yeah no you like to ask about people's siblings like that's that's such a surface level reading yeah Ben's <laughs> yeah i think um like i agree i agree um i don't have a, a rebuttal on that like yes <laughs> i just i never i i think i never really understood their relationship like why mm-hmm. why they were together other than mm-hmm. it was um like miri's first first really first real relationship and Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah leah's like very obsessed with ocean facts Um, okay most of her chapters until she gets like really stuck in the submarine and even once she is it's just Mm -hmm. like facts about submarines and oceans and and um okay creatures and um she's which is something that to me reads as lacking depth Mm -hmm. lacking emotional depth like Mm -hmm. she like um obfuscates her feelings about being trapped into like a memory about an article about a submarine diver who was underwater for an extended period of time you know like i think like both of these characters are pretty out of touch with their emotions in different ways and leah's way is to rely on facts that i read at surface level like okay. for, like all these ocean facts and also like here yeah you ask about their siblings like I've got enough info you ask about their siblings that's all the data points I need yeah just using facts as the like as the whole of the thing rather than trying to find connection between them yeah, yeah. interesting interesting okay yeah uh-huh. yeah so I guess my my question is like as always on here like you you've brought this to us well what what is it that you're trying to call our attention to or call my attention to when we when we read this yeah then you know i'm a sucker for ways that a narrator or a point of view character can hint that they don't have the full story or that they might have a misunderstanding of the full story that's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. one of the most thrilling things that can happen for me as a reader is when I've been in this point of view character's head and I'm like deep in it and I'm seeing things from their perspective and then there's some mm-hmm. clue that mm-hmm. I would pick up on that the point of view character doesn't pick up on. Yeah. Like yeah. that's thrilling for me. Um, yeah. And 
it's kind of a detective story move. It's kind of a mystery story move, but like it's Mm -hmm. relevant here too. Mm -hmm. Um, This novel, I think a, a lot of my book club's criticism of this novel was based on like thinking that Mary was focusing on the wrong things in her section. Okay. So one of the point of view characters, like she's not focusing on, well, what the hell happened in the submarine and how is my wife turning into the sea? And what is, what is the cause of all this? And did that other guy die? Like she's mm-hmm. just not interested in those facts. She is a, mm-hmm. in, in a different way, an unreliable narrator because she's so wrapped up in her own grief and being out of touch with her emotions. She's so being controlled mm-hmm. by her emotions. Right. Okay. And I think her relationship with this side character, Carmen, who is, like, by the way, not important to the plot. <laughs> like, okay. God bless her. Just not yeah. important to the plot. I just really enjoyed how this character was written and also this how this character is used in the story. Um, I think this side character, Carmen, is, like, a real good embodiment, of, a really effective embodiment of how Miri, like, does not, is not fully tracking everything that's going on around her and is not asking mm-hmm. the right questions or not mm-hmm. asking the questions that I would ask as someone who is nosy and controlling and wants all <laughs> of the facts. Um, so a really thrilling moment for me in this story and the moment that made me be like, this is page 185 out of almost 230 pages, so like final 50 pages, that made me be okay. like, these final 50 pages, Mary mm-hmm. is not gonna know up from down. I need to read in between the lines for the rest of these final 50 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, is when, um, page 185, I call Carmen instead, but I've lost track of the days she's having her eye operation. The woman who answers her phone asks if I want to call back for the voicemail, and I don't ask who it is I'm speaking to. She is, at the beginning of this book, describing Carmen as, I worry she's my best friend. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this book, Carmen's life-changing eye surgery is happening, and mm-hmm. some other friend is taking care of Carmen on surgery day, and mm-hmm. Mary doesn't even know, has no idea that who this person is, and yeah. doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it, interest paid. She is wrapped mm-hmm. up in her own thing. Yeah. yeah. This was the clue for me that, like, Mary is a very unreliable narrator, and I need to do the work. Like, and also that, like, uh, I'm not going to get all my answers, my questions answered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's totally why I chose this section. I yeah. think, like, how she treats Carmen throughout the course of this book is, like, how Mary becomes completely off the rails, wrapped yeah. up in her own thing and disinterested in other mm-hmm. people's lives or collecting things that could be useful info. Mm-hmm. That, that's the microcosm that represents the greater issue that I'm sure she contends with throughout the rest of the book, right? Like, it, it is represented keenly here in her inability to maintain this relationship. Right. Yeah. Like, or, or not even not maintain it, but just like have it in any ways. Because like you said, if the, at the beginning she's saying, I'm worried she's my best friend. But then at the end, there's this other person taking care of her. I mean, she was wrong in the beginning. This other person was already there. Like, yeah, yeah. Carmen knew she wasn't going to ask Mary for to come take care of her during her eye surgery. It's like it, it's almost as if like the thing she's accusing Carmen of, of like, oh, all she ever does is talk about this breakup she had. That that's a point mm-hmm. is that she describes her as a person who like basically is like a, a, a person who specialized in something for three years and it was having a relationship with this guy. But the yeah. reality is is that she's actually describing herself in that moment, right? Like she's completely <sighs> absorbed into this relationship that she's in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Mary never talks about the problems in this relationship that she's in. And that's why she thinks she's holier than Carmen, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, whereas Carmen all the time is drawing comparisons to her ex-boyfriend Tom and how she realized that that wasn't going to work out for her. Mary's yeah. never fucking saying out loud what is wrong with Leah. She does yeah. not ask for help. And even when she does eventually sort of allude to needing help, Carmen just thinks it's because they're breaking up, not because something supernatural is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Because I do guess, how do you address the supernatural in that scenario? But, like, like you've mentioned that you think that this is about her leaving this relationship also. Yeah. Like, the, that this is a book about the ending of this thing. Um, and so, it, as a result of that, um, like... I don't know, I guess that kind of does, that paints Carmen's, like, you know, when she's talking about 
her ending of her own relationship is that's not a self-centered act that's a deeply empathetic act that she's going through right she like might be trying to learn you a thing mary yeah she's like <laughs> well when i was stuck in something that wasn't working and, and mary is just like i do not care about this why would she talk so much about this yeah. <laughs> like yeah. yeah can we read that part of um, yeah um do you want to do you want to do it I'm yeah which page is that on here 23 let me see 23. Okay. It's from the top of that paragraph. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Carmen's ex-boyfriend, Tom, was a social worker and a weekend DJ who eventually left her for reasons I never quite managed to grasp. Carmen typically speaks about him the way one might refer to a degree, a three-year period one has to endure in order to talk with overbearing authority on exactly one subject. (laughs) And I won't mention your note that you put in the margins there, but <laughs> she is <laughs> she is the world's living expert on loving and losing thirty-year-old men named Tom. <laughs> Dear listener, I wrote "lol me" in the margin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I that, think that was such a phenomenal passage. Like it's so well written. Mm, you know, there's mm-hmm. a colon in it. You know, a bitch loves a colon here. Um, <laughs> But, like, that's a really true observation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, I wrote LOL me, but, like, um, one really talks once you have been through it. And, like, like she, I, I don't think Mary realizes it. I think it's true that some people do this. Mm-hmm. I also think you're right that, like, Mary does not realize that Carmen is trying to do this for you specifically to your benefit and probably isn't like this with her other friends. Yeah. And, and also, it's like, it can even be both. You know, like, we don't we don't know that for sure. I think uh, I can read it like that where it's like she is trying to give specific advice. Or it can be that Carmen is kind of obsessed with this relationship that ended. But even then, there is a lesson to be taken from that. Like, it, yeah. in your own experiences, like, you know, you're still not listening. E- even if what the other person is saying is maybe a little self-centered on its own, like, you're still not listening to it. Yeah, I'm like... Uh, yeah, and, like... If your friend is hung up on a breakup or whatever and you're tired of hearing about it, like, you can just tell them that. Like, it's yeah. not illegal. Yeah. So <laughs> like, hey, you know, I love you so much and I'm here for you, but, like, you seem, you know, I'd, I'd really love to, you know, connect on some other topics. And um, and that's not mm-hmm. illegal to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the right context and when delivered correctly. Um, yeah. I also think there's a, another section on 52. Mm-hmm. Um, another critical moment about Carmen. Like everyone, most of Carmen's higher education seems to have leaked out of her around her mid to late 20s, replaced, mm-hmm. in, the main, replaced in the main methods of treating black mold by passwords and roast chicken recipes and the symptoms of cervical cancer and thrush. Um, I think it's funny like to compare Carmen always talking about her ex as like her having gotten a degree in loving and losing mm-hmm. a man named Tom with like she's lost she she like makes a reference to Euripides and and Mary's all off on a tangent about Carmen like <laughs> you know like most people forgetting higher education yeah. um, in the late 20s yeah um, <laughs> yeah yeah it's true though like you know mid, like Carmen did probably go from higher education to this three year degree in loving and losing Tom uh, yeah, and, and it's like, I, I don't know, it, it's weird to be like, because the way that this is written is like, slightly condescending from the point of view of the narrator, right? Like, uh, this whole sure. like, oh, you know, she, like everyone, most of Carmen's higher education seems to have leaked out of her, like, or like, th- this is like, uh, you know, descent towards Carmen and her choosing a, to lead a normal life instead of staying brushed up on Euripides. Like, it Mm -hmm. is just such a strange thing to do as a person, because even starting it with the phrase, like everyone, like, shouldn't that show you that there is a normalcy to this? And, like, does this narrator remember her entire undergraduate career? Who, Who remembers their undergraduate career like for virtue of it having been at this point for myself 
a decade ago. Like, I, I don't know what we're supposed... Like, it, it's just, like, very... It, it's very myopic to, to be, like, uh, on that front so hard, right? Like, yeah. 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 So, and you mentioned that... You, mm-hmm. Another reflection of herself, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. she... The narrator, Miri, is, like... Um, not pursuing higher education herself anymore she's Mm -hmm. uh like hardly keeping up with her freelance job and just watching like reality tv and game shows throughout the day um Mm -hmm. so like it's more it's one of those things where it's like a little bit more reflection mary i think your criticisms of conan are criticisms you have about yourself yeah yeah so you you mentioned earlier that you chose these passages not just for Mary's own actions, but because you enjoyed this character of Carmen and and, and her brief appearance in this novel. What 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 is it about Carmen that that is like working for you, it, especially because like I I don't know just to like angle it in towards craft even a little bit like how you know I guess I have questions about like how do we make these small side characters interesting and how do how do these we get these people to stand out, especially in a scenario like this where we're in a first-person environment where we're inside of another person's head and we'll never follow this character home. Like, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. this main character is, whose head we're inside is, is, like you said, myopic and not a very reliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So how do mm-hmm. we still, even when this character isn't sensitive enough to really listen to others, how do we still put a character on the page in a way where she's memorable? Yeah. Um, so I think the first tool is like choosing a track and then building on it. So mm-hmm. when we're first introduced to Carmen, it's through this three-year degree in loving and losing Tom thing. And mm-hmm. then the next time we see her, she says, when I broke up with Tom, it was hard because for so long afterwards, I felt like I was still in it. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he mm-hmm. had moved on, but I was still in this relationship all by myself. Mm-hmm. So like just hearing seeing the first part of that paragraph when i broke up with tom carmen says my brain's like lol that is a reference to the earlier thing and how she like introduced carmen like oh my Mm -hmm. god she's kind of right carmen does talk about tom all the time right so Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. choose one thing and then build on it for a little bit i think is good advice um i think uh putting it in dialogue is a good way a good tool if you're uh, like if you're like me, if you love when the point of view character doesn't notice as much, we've talked about this, I think, on the Kristen Arnett episode. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. don't remember which episode now. I know we've talked about this in the past. Like, put it in dialogue so that the reader can pick up on more than the narrator put up, picked up on. Like, how yeah. Miri would summarize that sentence is Carmen complained about Tom again. But how yeah. I, as a reader, who knows that this book is, I think, about a breakup, is, like, she's trying to remind you that it's okay to break up with people <laughs> like she's mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's she's noticing that you're the only one putting effort into your relationship anymore um yeah and i mean it's again because leah is not physically capable of doing so due to some supernatural intervention but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so so putting it in dialogue is a good way to like get around a constraint like a point of view get narrator not having uh, not being very uh, sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Choosing one track and then building on it like this, like she's obsessed with Tom thing. And then, um, what else did I love about Carmen? Oh, a favorite, absolute favorite moment of mine. Mm-hmm. Carmen has a second. Th- so Carmen's got like basically two major themes and then a little bit of extra bonus material. The mm-hmm. first major theme is this Tom stuff. And the second major theme is she's got awful vision like she cannot mm-hmm. tell what is yeah. going on she wears the craziest glasses for it so then she has yeah. to get this eye surgery that led to that pivotal moment that i really like where yeah mary calls and realizes she's not the friend taking care of her best yeah. friend i sometimes worry on eye surgery day um yeah. the eye surgery works and on 192 um carmen's saying talking about how their vision is so much better she's got some weird side effects but they're going to get better every day and mary yeah. narrates I feel winded by her happiness, um, but and don't know how to express this. Ask her when she thinks she'll be up and about again anytime, really. I feel winded by her happiness is like mm-hmm. delicious to me. What an yeah. awful 
awful feeling. And like, yeah. I think we're all guilty of it, right? You know, like we're yeah. really deep up in our own thing and just like not ready to be happy for our friend about whatever is going right in their life. Yeah. I think we've all done some version of this, but like a delicious contrast. Like, so Carmen has her own um, upward journey mm-hmm. in this book. Like, mm-hmm. and it's, Miri's not involved in it at all. She's like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, barely hears about it, but like Carmen regains her vision in the course of this book and is like, and it's a really fun contrast to how low Mary is by the point yeah. when things start going really well for Carmen. So yeah. even though she's like very short appearances, she's introduced with just strong language, this Tom mm-hmm. colon situation. Yeah. Um, we build on that theme so it's consistent throughout. We give her mm-hmm. a second theme, the eye vision thing. And then mm-hmm. she has even, every time we meet her, something is different about Carmen. And... Mm-hmm that difference contrasts really nicely with where Mary is at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts. What do you think? Yeah. I, I think that that is, I mean, having not read the novel, uh, of course, like coming on onto that, but the, um, I, I think that that makes a character stand out in, in a way that, you know, allows them to be threaded throughout this work, like as a foil to to our narrator is kind of basically what I'm getting off of your description there it, it is that we are told this thing in parallel that you know um, Carmen gets to work as this really successful like thematic like mirror that that Miri is forced to look into at times because like you know she's going through this dissolution of her own relationship well here's a person who's getting better and better who's always talking about the end of their relationship like mm-hmm. we were able to kind of do that dual observation through there um i i think that sound like i i think that that makes a lot of sense as to what makes her interesting because I don't know if there are any other characters that get like another side character slot in the same way, or if we're mostly was the na- the two narrators um, for the rest of it. Um, Carmen's the only one that I recall being introduced early. Um, okay. There are a few other characters who are introduced like halfway through and reappear a few times, but um, Carmen I think stands out because she's present for the whole journey. Okay. Interesting. And, and like that, th- there was something about also that I, I was interested in was this eye surgery scene, like knowing what I know about this book and, and you telling me that it has kind of Lovecraftian elements in it uh, makes me very interested in a part of this. Um, let's see if I can find it. Wait, That's if you remember it, can we pause from... and just define Lovecraft? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like just when we refer to things as Lovecraftian, we're we're spot, we're more likely than not actually speaking on themes of cosmic horror. Is what that is known as, which are, you know, horror that is, th- that derives from there being entities beyond the universe and the known universe that have influenced our universe and have control over our universe towards ends and designs that we ourselves can never fully even conceive of Mm -hmm. like it's not just finding out that you are a tool in a predestined machine it's that you're finding out you're you're an aspect of a predestined machine that you don't you cannot know how it works the operation of said machine is not even that does not concern you you are so insignificant to it you're you're not you're not just being used but you're being used to ends that you will never be able to comprehend and that's the sort of thing that happens within like lovecraftian or cosmic horror that that it is this the the belief in the 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 fear of a hostile universe that cares not for you and will toss you aside at its own convenience essentially right yeah. like that that's how i think of it yeah i'm glad you gave that definition because like a key part of it in my mind was just tentacles <laughs> so yeah. i like your like there's um a horrific looking creature who is designed uh who's in- influencing your reality um with some kind of designs that are just never explained and that are in ununderstandable un- for you that mm-hmm. are just completely outside of your control and conception um yeah and it's a writer it's a reference to the writer hp lovecraft who also been didn't he write mm-hmm. like expeditions 
too, like um, the, the mountain one is a yeah yeah the mountains of madness that's him um yeah he he wrote a ton like very yeah. complex figure like you said very racist up until the point that he no longer was like he very much recanted all of those beliefs later in life and i'm not trying to engage in apologia for that there are people that do and i think you know he needs to be held responsible for both mm. but i think it's just part of what makes him interesting like he went from being a arch conservative to someone who was critiquing fdr from a left perspective <laughs> he was like yeah he was you know a, the entire gamut uh, of the political spectrum he had run like a, a very strange figure in literature yeah i actually didn't know that about his reversal but that makes sense to me because extremists tend to go to the other extreme if they leave mm-hmm. it um mm-hmm. my favorite youtuber is contrapoints and she's got yeah she became popular for um god years ago now oh my god the trump era was a while ago but she became yeah. most popular for um deprogramming like alt-right um mm-hmm. incels and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got an amazing video essay on how like these alt-right incel boys if they get de-radicalized they don't become moderates they tend to become extreme leftists yeah yeah she, god she uh, just a sidebar on contrapoints because I like her a lot Stunning. too. Amazing, the uh, absolutely excellent the the sensitivity with which she approaches those young men and the amount of empathy she has for them is far grander than could ever be expected of another person. And, and if you and if you're listening to this and have not seen any of her videos, check them out. They're really well researched, really well argued, and she's very funny. Like, so all funny. of these things at the same time. Like, really, really cool. Yeah. Charming. Mm-hmm. Contrapoints, if you're listening, can I buy you a beer? Um, yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. Anywho. But yeah. Okay, yeah. HP Lovecraft. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about, like, the this scene in which she, rega- she regains her vision and she has this moment where there's, like, she's in hallucination, Carmen is. Like, she's in, she's like, I keep seeing figures that aren't real on the edges of my vision. And I'm just wondering, I wanted to ask you, is this happening at a point also where, like, the supernatural elements are getting to their most heightened, where reality is most bent, being bent for the narrators as well? That's crazy. Yeah, I did not even pick up on that detail because I was so wrapped up in how bent um, the supernatural elements were for Leah mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, what a small detail, Ben. I didn't even underline it, as you can tell, because I sent you a photo of it. Go ahead, sorry. The after effects are peculiar, she says. Everything tinted a pale tangerine, the shades of figures that cannot be real rotating in the corners of her vision. But then, and this, I think, is what is relevant, is Mm -hmm. Carmen says, they told me to expect this, so I'm not worried. It's clearer than it was, exclamation point. Not perfect yet, but they said it should get better every day for a week. Ad meliora, etc., etc. Hmm. What... Mm-hmm. And opti- what what just grounded in reality, reassuring mm-hmm. herself and saying it's going to get better and better. Mm-hmm. Like, what a different reaction to a mm-hmm. creepy thing going on than yeah. Mary is having at this point. Mary, yeah. meanwhile, is not willing to say out loud what weird, creepy things are going on, and yeah. completely unwilling to ask for help or more information. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I just had a feeling that that would probably be going on at that moment. Given that it's just like, mm. yeah, you know, it it bleeds out from Mary's experience, right? Like it, it's yeah. everything is now set in this aura uh, of like you know the supernatural. Uh, but of course, they all react to it differently. We, we have Carmen, you know, having reason to not expect this to be strange, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Damn, Ben, I'm noticing you, you notice parallels that I didn't even notice. I haven't even read the book yet. Stunning! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's just that that's that felt like that would be happening there, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it seems it seems like a really cool bo- book. Um, I'm very interested in reading it. Just I have I feel like I've had such a strange reading experience of this right, so far, having only read these one sections surrounding this character who the narrator is extremely dismissive of. Yeah. So I'm like, there's this like. This isn't the novel at all. 
These are things that happen in the novel, but this is not at all what's going on. So I'm very curious about what that actually looks like. Yeah. What a weird first impression I've given you of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it it does really, um, Carmen's journey does really, you know, uh, indicate the journey Mm -hmm. of the journey that Mary and Leah are on. Um, Yeah, definitely a weird first impression, though. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that, like you just said, that's such an important thing within craft, especially in longer works, and something that I'm trying to do in the longer work that I'm trying to produce is that that feeling that it, how every single thing that occurs needs to be reflective of the greater structure, mm-hmm. it, even these smaller moments. Like you, you've shown me the book in microcosm, and like you said, like, like in this kind of mirroring way of while Carmen goes up and Miri goes down, like how we can, I as a reader, having only read these Carmen parts, can draw that out from what's happening based on the narrator's reactions. I can kind of make guesses and assumptions. And the the basis for that being the ways that when you write something that is larger, it has to always, always be returning to its center, right? Yeah. Like it has to always continuously hit its themes and remind the reader of its themes and show them to you in every possible way that it can. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, like, don't be afraid when writing. Like, you may find these ideas that seem like they're disconnected. Are There, there might be more connection than you would have mm-hmm. thought. Even um, the final section, the final Carmen moment that I sent you that we haven't talked about on page 103, mm-hmm. um, Mary's having a memory about... Um, Leah and when they were really happy together and how electric their chemistry was and, and their like sexual chemistry was mm-hmm. um, and then there's a line break and mm-hmm. then we're in scene with Carmen at a coffee shop Carmen is eating toast tells me I should see somebody about that look on my face chronic bitch face is naturally distinct from resting bitch face you know the contrast <laughs> And that moment is the point of that moment, right? Like, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mary's caught up in her memory of how great her relationship once was. And then she's mm-hmm. starkly, the language changes dramatically. There's a line break. We're in scene, in a moment. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. lame. <laughs> it's an uncool <laughs> moment. And it's kind yeah. of mean, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, so even when, like, Carmen doesn't realize that she's part of this larger narrative that's going on in Mary's head like she is because mm-hmm. the contrast the juxtaposition of how different Carmen's situation in the moment is with that long hot memory um, mm-hmm. is still really juicy and helps helps draw out that long hot memory more yeah yeah so yeah funny. anywho yeah okay <laughs> so uh, if we were mm-hmm. to turn this into a writing exercise mm-hmm. um if you are unsure, if you, it, it, I think it was really effective to have the side character from the beginning having such a contrasted journey from mm-hmm. the main plot, the main point of the yeah. story. Yeah. Um, so introduce a character early, and she is not a useful part of like the mechanics of what happens. Like she's not part of the plot. I would not say mm-hmm. like she is not helping Mary realize a supernatural thing that's going on or. Yeah. go any travel logistics like not she's not part of this plot but she's like thematically integral this book would not work without her i think um and i think it's because she's introduced early and she's telling us what the point of this book is before the narrator realizes that the point of this book is about breakups um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um yeah introduce a side character early she doesn't have to be important but bring mm-hmm. her in early and let her have a few moments where her journey is contrasted and um, it'll really draw out the, the primary theme more. Yeah, I, I completely agree, 100%. Yeah. But yeah, so, as before we wrap up, as is tradition, is there anything that you want to recommend to the audience? God damn, this you... is our tradition. We've done this for a year and a half, and I never have an idea planned. Um, you go first. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I already mentioned B.R. Yeager's book at the beginning of the podcast, but I'll mention it again here. His new book, Burn You the Fuck Alive, on Apocalypse Party. Read that. Great. Fantastic horror writing. Some of the best in the world. Um, and then alongside that, I will, to give Emily a little more time to think, um, I will recommend uh, the comic book series um, Ice Cream Man. It is an anthology horror comic 
but it's all written and drawn by the same team. So all of it's completely of a piece um, from this same creative team. So they're really good at recurring themes and like having things crop up in these separate stories that all feature this figure that is the ice cream man, who is this kind of otherworldly sort of, you know, as we've talked about Lovecraft, kind of Lovecraftian, like cruel presence that's influencing the world and bringing in our sorrows and as a source of joy for himself and it's very creepy it's very funny um it's it's a really cool comic it's on image uh pick up one of the trade paperbacks of that absolutely worth your time really really fun read yeah Mm. cool yeah Mm. all right how do you find new comics ben um i don't know like here here's the thing I am not just in comics, but also in books and in albums. I will buy things based on their covers. Like they, you know, it's something that I, I feel like people tell you not to do. The old phrase of "don't judge a book by the cover." Um, I, yeah, I in fact say fuck that. Uh, marketing teams are really good at knowing what to make in order to appeal to certain audiences. So if you like the cover of something, like, I have maybe a 70% success rate on just going in on the cover of something and being, and then being like, oh, yeah, no, this works for me. Like, the, those aesthetic choices are very helpful. And I discovered Ice Cream Man because I just thought the covers looked neat. And I was like, well, let me buy the first one. It's $15. I got $15. I'll see if that's good. And it was. Like, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um. <laughs> Cool. Um, camp, uh, you know what? It does influence me as well. I agree with mm-hmm. the marketing team take, except for in like certain publishing houses. Like I know, mm-hmm. an indie press um, or an academic publisher, just like they're, it's gonna have the title. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, to hear mm-hmm. a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, like a, a, a major publisher. I agree. Like they, yeah, they are looking exactly. For, they're signaling things. Um, I've stalled mm-hmm. for long enough that I have my recommendation. All right. And it's, I might have recommended it before, actually. I'm rereading one of my favorite academic books. Um, mm. It's by Sarah Shulman. Have you heard of Sarah Shulman? I don't think so. Cool. She's cool as hell. Um, she wrote the novel that the musical Rent ripped off. Um, oh, interesting. So Sarah Shulman's a um, lesbian New Yorker who was very involved in ACT UP and other AIDS protest groups mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. And um, her, she became first famous, I think, for like Rent having ripped off her novel, obviously. And then mm-hmm. most recently, she's picked up a lot of following for her most recent book, which is on um, AIDS, his- AIDS protest history. Um, Let the Record Show is the name of that one. Um, mm-hmm. But the book that I love, I've started to let the record show, and it's good, but the book that I love that I recommend is called Conflict is Not Abuse. Um, and its basic premise is saying that, like, we, like, from interpersonal problems to geopolitical, international conflict, um, the we, we take issue when someone, like, overstates how much harm the other person has done and then mm-hmm. construes something that she calls, like, normative conflict or reasonable resistance as abuse. So, for Mm -hmm. example, the police officers who kill innocent men because they felt threatened, like, they have misconstrued Mm -hmm. and overstated the threat, right? Yes. Um, So she argues that, like, in order to, like, it's the same skills to solve interpersonal conflict where we Mm -hmm. overstate harm and then isolate and shun people. Um, mm-hmm. As it would, as the same skills are necessary for like larger political and social movements. Um, mm. So it's a really good one, um, and I'm rereading it. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to it's check really that out. Good. That it, sounds cool. Like, starts one example that she gives towards the beginning that I think is useful is like she thinks that she's being flirted with. This could go mm-hmm. very wrong. She's at a mm-hmm. work event, and it's a colleague who she thinks is flirting with her. Mm-hmm. So could she construe what the colleague is doing as threatening or harassing behavior? Could, if she responded positively and then the colleague like, was offended, they could, the colleague could construe her reaction as threatening or, reha- or harassing behavior. 
and yes. like it's very important to be able to just have the skills to like recognize the situation and um, mm. like that con- that like tension could be quickly construed into abuse or harassing mm. or threatening behavior but actually like they're both adults and they just need to like hash out like hey was that are you mm-hmm. flirting with me? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you flirting with me? Because like, mm-hmm. I'd be open to it if you were, mm-hmm. but no no pressure. You know, like, that's mm-hmm. an okay thing to say. Yeah. Um, anyway, Conflict is Not Abuse by Sarah Shulman. It's my recommendation this week. All right. Cool. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks right. for tuning in. Yeah. Good thanks podcast. for listening. If yeah, you ever need writing. us, <laughs> we've got a Twitter. We've got an email. Yeah. yeah. You could try them. Yeah. See what <laughs> happens. Hey, you know what? I will say... Publicists have sent emails to those to that email address, and we've responded to some of them. So, some, you know, do that. <laughs> I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you, Emily. And we'll do this again at some point in the future. The Good Writing Podcast is never canceled, just highly irregular. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>